Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 81 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm happy to be joined by Annette Ferguson, CEO of Annette and Co. Annette, thanks very much for taking the time to chat with me today. Josh, thank you so much for having me. Awesome, Annette. Really looking forward to it. We have not had a guest that is focusing on the topic that you specialize in in a very long time, maybe not forever. And so I'm really interested to hear about it. This stuff is actually very top of mind for me right now. But for those who haven't heard of you before or your business, can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you're working on right now? Absolutely, Josh. So uh, my name is Annette Ferguson. As you said, I am CEO of Annette & Co, which is a UK-based accounting firm. I am a chartered accountant, certified profit-first professional and financial strategist, and I basically help business owners take home more money from their business for them and their families to enjoy. Right. And what kind of stuck out to me when I first saw your bio, checked out your website, I was like, it's kind of ironic because that's why a lot of us get into business, right? Is that financial upside. We, we all know the importance of, of making a profit. Otherwise, we won't be around long. And yet you don't see many people or companies kind of narrowed down, focused on, on doing just that. So I, I think this is super important. Did you start your career as an accountant? Like, did you go to school for that and, and that's how you began your career? I did. However, I had never actually planned on being an accountant. Hmm. So although I studied that, that was not actually my goal in studying accounting. So I had always thought that I wanted to have my own business. I grew up, my dad had his own business. So I grew up in quite an entrepreneurial household. And I had always wanted my own business, but I actually didn't know what I wanted that in and so i took some advice and a few people said to me well why don't you study accounting because it will give you a really good basis for running a business so i thought okay fine so i applied to do accountancy and finance at university that was fine i enjoyed that as much as anything else um and then i went on to do my professional qualification and whilst i was doing that you while you're doing your chartered accountancy training you basically work for three years full time whilst also studying for your chartership at the same time, hmm. um, a bit like a CPA in the US. And when I was doing that, I actually thought, hmm, hang on a minute, I quite enjoy this accounting thing. And so I basically stayed in the profession from then. So although I'd never actually planned on being an accountant, I had studied it in a strange kind of strange way. Got it. So what was the first move then once you kind of got that final accreditation or, or whatever, you know, whatever the, the term is for it, were you then and did you continue working at a, at a traditional accounting practice? No, I didn't. So straight away after I qualified, I actually moved into investment banking for a little while. Um, and then I worked in oil and gas for a while as well, always in financial control type roles. Hmm. But um, but yeah, I went into, into as I say, um, investment banking and then oil and gas for a while. And every time I, I moved roles and had different bosses and things, I was never wholly satisfied with working for someone else. And I always knew the time would come at some point where I would start my own business. Right. And so wh why do you think it was that you moved into those types of companies? Because would you not agree that, you know, that we'll call it the majority of people who graduate and, and get the stuff that you did would kind of look to an accounting firm? Like, why why did you not follow that route? Not that I think it's 
the best road to go down. In all honesty, I was in my early 20s and I got offered a lot of money to move into investment banking. And that's why I went. And mm -hmm. I hated the vast majority of my time there. Mm -hmm. I spent uh, just over a year and a half in investment banking and I, hate, I hated probably more than 90% of my time there. I very right. quickly realized that it was not the environment I wanted to progress a career in, in any way, shape or size. What happened was when I actually qualified in Edinburgh and then um, I, I met a boy, which happens thankfully now to be my husband mm -hmm. and uh, moved to London. At that point, uh, you know, they were recruiting heavily for newly qualified accountants and they were willing to pay much, much more than the accounting firms were. And as I say, I was in my early 20s. I was moving to London. Seemed like a good idea at that point in time. Got it. And then so when you transitioned out of investment banking, how did mm -hmm. that move go? And I guess what were the deciding factors? The deciding factor was I hate this industry, <laughs> in all honesty. That's a good but one. Wanted... Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a pretty strong motivator. But yeah. I also had in my mind, you know, I was still young and I was worried about having too short a time period on my CV. And so I thought, well, I need to stick it out for at least 18 months till I can move somewhere else. And I knew I'd grown up in Aberdeen, which is a, an oil and gas um, hub in the UK. And so I knew of the oil and gas industry quite a lot. And, um, and so I was kind of drawn to that to, to see sort of what happened in there and check that out. So that's basically what I did. I moved into, um, yeah, I moved into oil and gas with BP, first of all, and then laterally with Centrica after that. And it was from Centrica, that was my last real job in inverted commas before I then, uh, before I then took the plunge. Got it. And so let, talk me through kind of the three to six months leaving up to uh, leading up to leaving that job. What was kind of going mm. through your head? And then what I'm always interested to hear about is what was the tipping point that made you decide, OK, now, you know, now's the time. Good question. So the I started my business in the must have been September. September of 2009. I know that because it was not long after I came back from honeymoon. So, right. so that date is uh, is easy to stick in my head. So I would I just would nearly got married to the boy I moved down to London for. So it's all good. And um, <laughs> and I uh, I just nearly got married and it was kind of like that stability was there for me. I suppose um, in terms of making that transition. You know, I'm not. Being an accountant, risk taking is not massively in my nature. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we just got married and it was it was sort of like, actually, maybe it's a good time to try out this business thing. And so I set up whilst I was still working for my employer. So I was doing it on the side, which incidentally was actually against my employment contract. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't actually allowed to be doing my own thing on the side, but I did. And I did that for around six months and it was incredibly difficult because I used to have to take, I used to take holidays 
for networking events. This was at the point in time, this is 11 years ago now. So, you know, at the point in time where there's a lot more sort of face-to-face -face networking than there is virtually and online nowadays. Mm -hmm. So I used to, yeah, we didn't, I didn't have an iPhone, I had a Blackberry, <laughs> those kinds of days. So I used to take holidays for networking events. I used to go to the car in the car park and make client calls in the car, in my lunch break, um, you know, in between meetings. I used to, at one point, I remember taking a prospect call in stairwell in the office. <laughs> it was, you know, it was just a little bit crazy. And after around six months of that happening, I started to say to my husband, this is getting too much. I, I was building a client base, which was incredible. It was great from the, you know, the work, the stuff I was doing. Facebook and Twitter had just started kind of coming on the scene for business at that point. I did jump on those as well. And so I was doing some of that stuff. And the and I was getting to the point where I was thinking, I'm really struggling to balance this all. I'm really struggling to, you know, go to the events, I'm really struggling to do the client stuff and, and the prospecting and all those kinds of things. Now, as luck would have it, that discussion that we had um was over a weekend and i said to my husband maybe i should speak to work about going part-time or maybe i just have to hand in my resignation i don't know because you know clearly they're going to say why are you going part-time and i can't then say well actually i've got this side business that i would like to work on mm -hmm. so we were having that discussion over that weekend and by a strange twist of fate on the monday morning i went into work and my manager called me into his office and he said it's come to my attention that you, I think, are running a business, which I'm sure you know is against your contract of employment. And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> and yes, I do know that it's against my contract of employment. And he said, well, you know, I have to say to you that you have to choose one or the other. I said, well, I clearly, you know, obviously I choose my business. And he said, okay, then I'll expect your letter of resignation. I said, okay, no problem. I'll get, I'll get that. I'll get you, you know, I'll get that tonight and I'll get it to you first thing in the morning. And then he said, and by the way, well done. I think it's a great move. <laughs> so that was pretty lovely. <laughs> right. De definitely could have gone a lot worse. That's for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Could have gone a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. It went incredibly well. He was very happy for me. We're still kind of, you know, we still occasionally speak online. We're Facebook friends and all that kind of stuff. So, um, Right. Yeah, it's 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 it went incredibly well because it could have gone very very horribly in that situation, and I can promise you, my heart was pounding when he <laughs> said it's come to my attention because I knew what was coming. You know, right. I had there was nothing that would have come to his attention in the work I was doing, so I knew that there was, I knew that this was going to be in relation to that because I'd started getting more involved on social media. So mm -hmm. somebody had. Um, had spotted me on Twitter and had mentioned it to my boss. Right. So, so Annette, I'm curious, what was it when you started this side business? What was it? How, how did you come up with it? And then, and then my other question is, I mean, both of these are probably a mouthful, so we can do them one at a time, but do you recommend that others start in the same way that you did as well, AKA kind of moonlighting while you still have the full-time job? Yeah, so in terms of um, what I started, I started a very traditional accounting firm. So it was very much sort of annual accounts, tax returns, very compliance based, 
We did some bookkeeping as well, um, but it was very, very compliance-based traditional accounting firm. So very, very similar to the work I had been doing in my training in reality. It was very similar client base, very similar style business is what I started because that's what I knew. Um, and it was right. only after that that it sort of morphed into a lot more advisory work and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and remind me of your second question, Josh. Do, do you recommend others take that same approach? Because, you know, we probably do have many listeners who are still in their nine to five. They're not happy. They're looking to pull the trigger. Do you recommend going that route or kind of ripping the Band-Aid and, and quitting one day and starting the next? In all honesty, I do think it's a good idea to uh, moonlight. Now, of course, I'm not advising anyone to break, break their employment contracts yeah. because that Le legal caveat be the right here. Thing to advise. Yeah. However, should your employment contract not have a caveat in it that says you can't do work on the side, then yes, I would. And you know, I think. I think the reason is that you learn a lot in those first few months in business. Well, you learn a lot in every year of business, quite frankly. But in the first few months, you're really getting to understand who is your client? What do you want to do? And all those things. And I think that actually, for me, I wanted that safety net of, of a job, of an income, so that I could work out what was going on without suddenly having this baptism of fire that I would need to be earning from day one. I had this wage that was sort of covering my startup costs, basically. Mm -hmm. It was covering those networking events before I had, had ever met a client. And so I would recommend you do that now. It is exhausting. It's really tiring. And, you know, perhaps your life circumstance might mean that you can't. You know, at that time, I didn't have children, for example. If you throw kids in the mix, that might just not be possible for you because you may not have evenings and weekends and holidays you can take off to do client work. So it does depend on what stage of life you are and, you know, what your life circumstances is. But I think that if you can, it's good to try and do the two at the same time. Um, you may also learn that you don't like it, in which case that's fine. You just ditch the entrepreneurship thing and keep working. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And so Annette, you've, you've referred to networking events and social media and, and stuff like that. Can you walk us through what it was or what combination of things it was that led to those first few clients and what would you yeah. you know would you recommend those same strategies to someone who was starting on their own mm. so i got my first few clients from face-to-face -face networking but this was 2009 so social media was not nearly at the level that it is now it wasn't even close mm -hmm. so i would have said if you're starting a business today you don't necessarily need to go down that face-to-face -face networking route. You can do it all from this device in your hand. You can do it all from your phone or your iPad or your laptop. Now, yeah. and, and we also should it, date this too as well. It is the middle of September. COVID is upon us, right? So, yeah. so in-person networking events are also yeah. uh, somewhat <laughs> limited. Yeah, in the UK, they're off the table at the moment. So, um, and I think many places in the US, there probably are as well at the same time and throughout the world, in fact, depending on where mm -hmm. listeners are and which countries you are in. So, you know, I think that um, if I was starting a business now and I was thinking, how am I going to get my first few clients? What I would be doing is the 
spare time that I have that I'm not serving clients, I'd be producing a load of content and distributing it through every social media channel I possibly could. And I think that is how I would at that point then get my first few clients. Got it. Any, any advice? Like, were you, do you like blogs? Do you like podcasts? Do you like video? Do you like, you know, little Instagram visuals? What, what do you recommend or, or what's your go-to? I do them all actually. Right. But, um, so I do, um, I do lives four to five times a week. I do, um, two videos a week for my YouTube channel. I do daily podcast episodes. Um, I do, we do multiple posts on Instagram, but all of it is, you know, the, a lot of the podcast comes from my lives, for example. So there's a lot of repurposing happening there. I think whichever medium people are comfortable with, that's the one they should choose because that's the one you're going to stick to. I, are more towards um, video, probably overall, which seems a strange, I even think that sounds strange coming out of my own mouth because for years I avoided video and I did not like the camera at all. But actually I find it's much more natural and that's, that's a big thing why I like having podcast interviews, for example, via Zoom, because I like mm-hmm. being able to see the other person and have the interaction. And even on lives, I like being able to see the comments and what people are saying and all those kinds of things, because I think that really helps, um, you know, understand people's body language, their facial expressions, all those kinds of things help. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I don't think you can beat video in terms of if you're talking about the benefits of networking events and being in person, the closest you can really come to replicating that through content is video for all the reasons you yeah. just said. I also really agree with the point you said on pick the one that you feel most comfortable with because I almost find that there's social media overload these days, right? You could do a hundred, you could spend your whole day just creating content. Um, so pick yeah. one or two that you're most comfortable with, that you're the best at, that you'll stick through the, tar- the hard times with and, and that'll you know, create some of those long lasting effects. So that's great, Annette. So let's jump back into the story. You write, mm. you write the letter. You're done, right? <laughs> your, your, your job I is done. I write the letter. Done. I walk away. Yeah. What's I, uh, What's next? What are the next steps? I mean, obviously the business. So but how, ba- how did it go? Yeah. So I basically sat in my home office, going, "Huh, what am I going <laughs> to do with my day? Got all yeah. this time now. This is weird." Um, and I and I delved into um, I delved into other people's content. Actually, I delved into okay, what? How do I market? How do I sell? How do I? I learn all the things. I built my own website. I I learned as much as I could about the other aspects of running a business. Yes, I understood the financial bit of it. I understood how to draw up a set of accounts and what a profit and loss account meant from my my um, studying. But there's when you start a business. That is a tiny, tiny proportion of, of course, the stuff that you need to know. So I started learning as much as I could about running a successful business and what that looked like. I read, I've read, i read hundreds of business books over the years. I have consumed probably thousands of podcasts and videos and um, you know, been to numerous events, learning, trying to take in as much information as I possibly could to understand all these different areas of business. That's basically what I kind of 
dived into. And I, and I continued at that point in time, that face-to-face -face networking, I started being involved on Facebook and Twitter because they were starting to get um, a bit more traction at that point as well for people. So that's pretty much what I did um, on those first few days, weeks and months um, as I started to build up that client base and I started to, uh, to be known locally. And at the beginning, I only focused really on local clients because that was, that was the way you did it. Mm -hmm. at that point in time that was you know that was how you built a business at that point but whilst i was doing that i was very very aware that we would not be living in that area forever our plan was never to be in london for the rest of our lives so whilst i was doing the local networking at the very beginning i was also doing that that early social media stuff because i wanted to be clear to people that it wasn't just local clients I was taking on, I was taking on clients throughout the UK. And even at that point in time, I was doing meetings via Skype and things. I wasn't doing them, and Zoom didn't exist at that point. I wasn't doing them face-to-face, um, -face. I was doing them on the phone or via Skype. So I was setting up that vision that I had for the future at that point in time as well, which I think is really important is for mm -hmm. people to understand that actually your business needs to slot into your life and not the other way around. Right. Absolutely. Can you tell us maybe one or two books or this is probably a tough question considering how many you've been through, but are there one or two books and or one or two podcasts that maybe have kind of stuck around or that you've reread or re-listened to that you would recommend to others? Yeah, I can. So um, in terms of books, I would say, you know, there's there's a sort of standard, um, you know, big, big name one. So the E-Myth is one of those, mm -hmm. um, definitely. Um, Profit First for me was really massive in my business. So I would highly recommend reading Profit First. Um, what other books have I re read and reread? Um, or some of the podcasts, like are there some that you even still listen to to this day? There are, yeah. So Amy Porterfield's podcast I have listened to since pretty much day one. I think that that was around about the time she launched her podcast. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I've listened to her podcast pretty much the whole time. Um, I also have listened to, for years and years. I've listened to Kelly Roach's podcast called Unstoppable Entrepreneur. Um, that has also been in my ears for, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years, however long it's been. Um, and I'm a big fan of Gary Vee, so I do listen to his podcast very regularly as well. Right. Awesome. Yeah, those are some great recommendations. Hey guys, quick 30 second interruption to say we started a Solopreneur Grind email list every Monday to Friday if you want a quick, short email right to your inbox with a motivational quote just to get you through the grind. It can be tough in business, it can be lonely, it can be difficult. Quick quote from a previous podcast to get you through the week. Solopreneurgrind.com slash join if you're interested to sign up. Solopreneurgrind.com slash join. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Um, Annette, mm -hmm. I want to go back to kind of starting starting to even learn about the different areas of business. It seems to me like your background, you know, everyone comes into their business and they bring a certain type of experience, right? Maybe they are it's experienced in sales or marketing. In, in your case, you had a lot of experience in, in finance and accounting, which seems to me like a great place, kind of like a great starting skill to have. 
When you hear people talking about starting their businesses and learning about the different aspects, you surprisingly don't hear that mentioned, right? You hear about a lot of people digging into marketing, sales, operations, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that accounting and finance is, is often overlooked there? And, and how valuable was your knowledge in that area when you got started? Yeah, I think I think the numbers side of things is massively, massively overlooked. But I think a lot of people bring a lot of um, kind of issues and history and things into the numbers. So, you know, I hear people say, well, I was never very good at maths at school. And therefore, they almost, you know, push away that side for those types of reasons. Or there's a lot of emotion around money and that kind of thing. And that can cause issues for people as well. So I think that, yeah, I think it's hugely, hugely overlooked because like you said, the reason we most people go into business is for financial freedom. It is for a, you know, better in inverted commas, financial life for their family, whatever that might look like, yet is the area that people push to one side or forget about or ignore because they typically believe that if they're focused on all the other areas then the finances will sort themselves out and Mm -hmm. often that's not the case right so what would you recommend if someone was starting their new business kind of like in the position you were and you're going Mm -hmm. out looking and and finding you know books to learn the basics of marketing sales or, or, or podcasts what would you recommend that someone or or even you know some of our listeners who already have their their businesses up and running what would you recommend mm. to them in terms of like getting caught up in yeah. the accounting and, and marketing areas? Yeah, so if you if you are wanting to learn about the kind of basics of accounting, what things mean, what profit and loss accounts and balance sheets and all that stuff means, there is a um, there is a book called Accounting for Non-Accounting Students. <laughs> Um, and it's a book that uh, it's a bit textbooky, but actually it will give you the explanations and things, which can be a really good starting point for people. Just so you really get a basis of if you're looking at a balance sheet, what does it mean and why right. should you be bothered about it? Right. Is, is this stuff pretty standard around the world? Right. Because I know that many countries have their own, you know, gaps, you know, generally mm-hmm. acceptable accounting principles. And, and, you know, different tax laws and accounting, you know, stuff like that. Is this stuff pretty uniform around the world? The fundamentals are. Yeah, the fundamentals are really uniform. When you get to, you know, specific revenue levels and things, there's various tweaks. There are also international accounting standards as well, which many, many Uh, countries follow. But um, overall, the real stuff that business owners need to know are pretty standard across the way. Now, where you get the real differences are in the tax laws, basically. But the, mm-hmm. you know, how to read and drop a profit and loss account, how to read and drop a balance sheet, what age debtors and age creditors mean, how to read a cash statement, they're all the same worldwide. Got it. Very cool. Okay, that's good to hear. Uh, so, Annette. You, you get started on the company, you're learning all these different areas of business. I, I, I'm assuming eventually you're, you're starting to hit a nice growth curve. Yeah. What, what was that like? How do you adjust or how do you evolve from, you know, new business owner and operator to, oh my God, you know, I, ha- I have money coming in. 
and, and taking it to growth? Um, good questions. So for me, it was continued learning in all honesty, because I think every stage of business has its own um, complications, nuances, all those things. So, you know, you come to hire and then you think, well, how did I do that? How do I, what do I need to know there? What, do, how do I, how, how do I become a leader and a manager? Like, what does that look like? So I think for me, it was just constant learning and it still is in all honesty. Mm -hmm. That's you know, that's a big part of, of what I believe helps move, move a business forward is by the individual moving themselves forward as well. And, and, and learning every step of the way, because I think that, you know, I, I don't know naturally how to manage a team. So I needed to learn how to manage a team. I don't know, you know, you know, there's tons of things that I didn't know that I need right. to learn. And as technology advances and changes, you have to learn all that stuff. And so I think that it's about um, constantly just keeping up to date and learning. And, and I do think that is one of the other appeals to many of us to start our own business is that every day is not the same, right? Far from it, especially when you're going from or you're, you're moving to different stages in your company. It, your job can completely change as, as a CEO, right? CEO of a company of one to CEO of a company of three to 10 to however big you end up going. Uh, really cool. So, Annette, let's talk a little bit more about finances uh, and, and accounting and, and numbers and uh, the stuff that you like uh, or yes. like enough. Um, so, Annette, <laughs> what what do you think a lot of entrepreneurs and especially solopreneurs, small business owners, what are they missing or, or what are they getting wrong or, or what are the issues you really find yourself fixing for a lot of them? So a lot of the stuff that I work on with clients is around profitability. There's often a, a misconception that at the beginning or not even at the beginning, you have to, and again, I'm going to use air quotes again, reinvest all the money you make in your business. Mm -hmm. Can you just take a second, Annette, to, to explain for those who might not be overly accounting savvy, what exactly is profitability? So profitability is your sales, so your income, your business income, so what you collect from invoicing your customers and then paying you, minus your expenditure, basically. So all your costs. Mm -hmm. And then the number that you end up with is profit. And many people think that the profit will just happen if, if they make enough sales. But what we see often is there's not a big enough eye on the expenditure side of things. So what happens is a number of things. So shiny object syndrome can be a big one for many business owners that they see something exciting that they like to get and they just get it. Mm -hmm. Or um, if they end up signing up for bits of software and they forget to cancel them, the subscription keeps renewing each year and they've completely forgotten about it and the money goes out their bank account. So what we typically see is we see business owners saying that they are reinvesting the money in their business. However, what they're actually doing is overspending because reinvestment means that it, you are looking for a return. It basically means you've made a return and then you're putting that return into something else to get a return again. But that's strategic. 
-hmm. And typically what we see is the overspending, which is not strategic. So it's not a thought through strategy that people are doing by spending money in their business. They're just spending money in their business. And that's okay to happen as long as you're aware of it and it's, it's a strategy for you. If not, then you're basically taking money away from yourself as a business owner. You're taking money away from it. Right. Yeah, really, really good point. So what's a good approach or, or what's a good mindset that someone early on should take in their business? And, and I have to say, like, I suffered the opposite in the sense that I am a frugal person by nature. So I actually, like my customers, my first company, I was selling, I was, I was in law, so I was selling professional services and I did it out of my home. And so my expenses were virtually nothing. Uh, so getting really, you know, really good profit at the end of the year and finding it difficult to figure out what portion or what percentage or how to reinvest that money. What would you tell the people? Like, how should they take the approach of, reinvesting versus versus not reinvesting well what i say to people is have a look at your expenses first of all and ask yourself two questions in relation to your expenses one is this expense 100 necessary to keep the sort of proverbial lights on in my business i wouldn't be able to operate my business without it it's just not possible so that's the first one. Is it 100% necessary? Not 80% necessary. No, it's really nice to have 100% necessary. You can't do without it. And then the second question is, will this deliver me a positive return in terms of money or in terms of time? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is it's not 100% necessary and it won't deliver me a positive return, then you, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the purpose? Because typically that is where we find the sort of what I call money leaks in our business. That's where we find the money just frittering away and not coming to us as a business owner. Right. Now, it might be that you say, okay, these, you know, these ones are not 100% necessary and they don't give me a positive return, but they're really handy. They're nice to have. So they make my life nicer. Okay, that's fine. But just be aware of that be aware that that's the choice. It's either you spend it in your business or you take it out your business. And, and you know, which do you want more? Right. So what is it as simple, not as simple as, but is it, is it in theory as simple as telling business owners that might be listening to this right now to go point by point through their expense report from the last month or two and, and kind of do that test and then just start cutting what shouldn't be there? Is that a good step? I actually advise people to gather together the last 12 months, business, bank, credit card statements, PayPal statements, all those, and go through line by line. Hmm. You might need to put a cup of, put a pot of coffee on to do it, or depending the time of day, open a bottle of wine, whatever that might be, because it's, you know, it's not the most exciting task, but actually in doing that, you, you'll pick up a lot of things. And also doing that, you pick up any annual stuff that's happening as well. Right. Yeah, as someone who's catching up on year-end bookkeeping right now from one of my companies, uh, might need more than a pot of coffee. But anyways, yeah. um, so Annette, another question, this is something I've thought about a lot is, I, I'm the type of person who will always pay for an accountant to do my return at the end of the year. When it comes to bookkeeping, how important do you think that is? At what point should someone look to a bookkeeper, someone like yourself, an accountant, whoever, um, as opposed to just kind of doing it themselves. 
when it, there's a time aspect involved. So if you've got the time to do it yourself and you have a vague idea of what you're doing or you have an accountant that you can then ask questions of, then mm -hmm. fine, do it yourself. But if you're getting to the point where you're putting it off and off and off and off and off and you've not done it for three months and then you probably need to start getting a bookkeeper in because really you want to be looking at your numbers on a monthly basis, very least. And mm -hmm. therefore, if you're putting it off and off and off, you're not getting the data that you need in order to make decisions in your business. Right, makes complete sense. And what do you think of the software that's out there now? I mean, what I'm using in for actually two of my companies is QuickBooks Online, mm -hmm. and that's been super helpful. Do, do you like those kind of uh, tools and any other recommendations for tools or similar software that might make it easier? Yeah, we're a massive fan of Zero, so it's spelled X-E-E-R-O. It's a QuickBooks competitor, basically. Okay. They're both very similar. Um, and yeah, big fan of online bookkeeping software. It's made, um, it's made bookkeeping a thousand times easier than it was before. So yeah, and I'm, I'm a really big fan of those pieces of software. You also have other bits of software that you can kind of plug in and bolt on, things like HubDoc or Receipt Bank, where you can just send your receipts and they'll auto um, auto read the data that's on them and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. They can be really handy and they link up to those pieces of software as well. So they can be really handy for people if they've got a lot of receipts to process. Very cool. Awesome. So Annette, I, I want to talk a little bit more bigger picture now. If Let's say you're working with companies, they're they're profitable, they're, they're doing well. They've kind of figured out, you know, the right amount of, of reinvestment or, or not reinvestment to do. What are the important numbers that business owners should keep tabs on on, on a month to month basis? And maybe more importantly is is what should they be looking for? Like, are there certain percentages of profit we should be aiming for? Obviously, it might depend on the type of business in the industry. But let's say I'm working with a bookkeeper and or an accountant. What, what what am I looking for? Like what what should I what should stand out or not stand out type thing? So the very minimum that you want to be looking at on a monthly basis is your profit and loss account, and that will be your current month. Usually, adding in the previous three to four months can be really handy as well. So you can when you look at that, you can see trends. You can mm. see you know you can see okay well that's been happening monthly it's not in that month is that an error is that right is you know you can get a good sense check you can get a trend of the revenue you can get a trend of the profit and you can see how things are in relation to each other so that's the first thing in a profit and loss account um the next thing that you want to be looking at is the balance sheet so the balance sheet you want to make sure when when you look at a balance sheet it will have basically two numbers that are the same as each other. That is how it balances. So the, those numbers, you want them to be increasing ideally, and you really, really want them to be positive. If they are not positive, you're technically insolvent. So you mm -hmm. need to get those numbers positive ASAP if you are not. Um, and you need to take advice as well from your accounting professional around the trading insolvency rules in whichever country you're in. But you really need to make sure that those numbers are positive and you want them to be trending upwards. So the balance sheet you is a 
so just for people who don't know, when you look at a profit and loss, loss account, that covers a period of time. So usually your profit and loss account, you have a look at the monthly profit and loss account or the annual, maybe the quarterly, you'd look at it that way. A balance sheet is different. It's a snapshot in time. So what that means is it tells you the position of the assets and liabilities in your company as at a certain date. So you'll see, for example, your bank account balance will be in that balance sheet. Any money you owe for, so debt will be in that balance sheet, whether that's debt to yourself or debt to other people, it will be in there. So you want to review your balance sheet and give these things a sense check. You know, does the does the amount that's in the bank account, does that seem right the day it was drawn up to? Does, does the debt amount seem right? Does the amount that you're owed from customers, does that seem right? You can sense check these numbers as well at the same time. The next thing you want to look at as well is the cash statement of the business. So this will basically, again, like the profit and loss account, this is drawn up over a time period. So what you'll want to see is you'll have a look at all the incoming monies and then all the outgoing monies. And of course you want the incoming to be higher than the outgoing ideally, or at least balancing off against each other. Um, so making, you know, again, sense checking, looking through, is anything missing? You know, are we in the right direction with this? Is this what we would have expected given everything we know about the business this month and making sure that that's in the right position. The other two things you want to make sure that you're looking at at least monthly are your age debtors and your age creditors report. So your age debtors is basically the report that says who owes us money because you want to be making sure there's a process in place for chasing that. Mm -hmm. And the age creditors is who do we owe money to? And again, you need to be really clear on who that is and what the payment terms are and all those things so that you can manage the cash in the business. They are the absolute minimum that you want to be looking at on a monthly basis. There's a huge amount, of course, of other data in the business that it can be really helpful to look at. That varies very much from business to business. If you're a retail store, for example, inventory is gonna be one that you really need to make sure you're on top of. So, so there's certain things for certain industries that then come into play, but those are the absolute bog standard that every single business owner needs to be looking at monthly. Got it. Awesome. That's great stuff. So Annette, let's, let's zoom back out again, back to the, the business side of things. What do you think are the two or the three of the, the biggest lessons that you've learned over the last few years? I mean, it's been more than a few years for you and, and your business now, but what do you think are, are kind of the two or three biggest lessons or takeaways that you've had? The biggest lesson I think is probably communicate, communicate, communicate with everyone about everything. You probably can't over communicate to your customers because that is how you serve them the most is by understanding them the best and therefore being in dialogue and communicating it with them is incredibly important as is communication between your team so as you start to build team what and by team i use this word to basically mean any other individual who interacts with your business in uh, as a freelancer as a contractor as a subcontractor as an employee Whatever that is, if they are working for you and with you, then making sure the lines of communication are very, very open there as well. I think that is a big thing that I have learned over the years is you cannot, as a team or with your clients, communicate enough to them. It's, um, it's incredibly important. That would be number one. Uh, number two is always be learning, always 
be growing as an individual because the more you grow as an individual, the more the business itself benefits and the more you can support your clients and support your team and all those things. So I think they're the top two probably. Absolutely. Super, super important. And you also mentioned near the beginning of the episode, the importance of fitting the business into your life and not mm. vice versa. Uh, maybe my last question would be, how do you approach that, right? It, it's the it's the kind of the elephant in the room sometimes of work-life balance, right? It, it gets mm -hmm. talked about a lot. It's really hard to nail down like a quote-unquote right answer. But what has been your approach to trying to uh, trying to get that work-life balance? I'll be honest, it's really hard. It's <laughs> really, really hard because I am one of these people that I could easily work for 20 hours a day, eat pizza and sleep. Like I could, <laughs> I could do that, no problem. I would find that really, really easy and I would find it really fun. I love what I do mm -hmm. and I love, I love the vast majority of aspects of my business. So I would happily go and rebuild my website tonight. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I would do that. And so it's really, really difficult. Um, what I do is I do make sure that I do not check my emails after 5 p.m. I don't go into them at all until half past eight the next morning. That's when I do that. I do not check my emails at weekends. Mm -hmm. Full stop. I just don't go into them. And I... I'm not so good on social media, <laughs> I have to admit. Um, that's trickier for me, but but I also don't take client calls out, outside Monday to Friday, nine to five. That's that's what I do. I do not give clients, clients don't have my mobile number. Mm -hmm. All my calls are pre-scheduled, we have them on Zoom. So I put in these boundaries in place so that I can have family time as well, because otherwise I wouldn't see my husband or my kids. I would honestly happily just sit and work and work and right. work and work well listen if, if you don't have some of those other uh you know things to things that are important to you in your life and you do love your business that much you know maybe it is okay to work 20 hours a day and eat pizza if that's what makes you happy right uh, and yeah, you, you know yeah, you, you don't really. have those commitments yeah yeah absolutely if i didn't have a husband and kids that's probably what i would be doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah Awesome. Well, Annette, this has been really insightful. Uh, great to hear your story. Uh, great to get some some really good insights on the, the financial aspects of businesses as well. If people want to get in touch with you or learn more about you or your business, where do you recommend that they check you out? So there's a couple of places just so people can check me out. I also have a podcast. It's called Uncover Wealth Radio. So I would love for your listeners to check that, that out in whichever podcast player you fancy. Um, and the other place is my Facebook group, which is called the Uncover Wealth Community. You can find that by just typing that into the search bar on Facebook as well. Awesome. And we will link to both of those in the description below. Annette, thank you again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Josh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great blast. Hey everyone, Josh here checking in just one last time to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. I also wanted to say if you want even more of this business insight and motivation right to your inbox Monday through Friday, make sure to sign up for the Solopreneur Grind email list. What I did was I started a list to give solopreneurs a super quick email every Monday through Friday into your inbox. That's all it is, one quick quote 
to motivate you and help you get through the day because I know how tiring and long and difficult and stressful some of those solopreneur grinds can be. So if you're interested, sign up at the link in the description or solopreneurgrind.com and I hope to have you on the list. Thanks again. Take care.